Let me get serious here. We're here a short time, baby, and you better enjoy it while you're here. You better get every bit of life you can out of it, the short time we got. Because when you start going downhill, you're going to reflect on what you're missing. And that's going to be a sad occasion. Steve has been selected as one of the three senior candidates. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. That's awesome. Oh, my God, you don't know how long we've been waiting for this. Welcome back. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Molly out today. That was a clip from the great story ESPN aired on Sunday as part of their pregame to the Super Bowl, the pregame show, and it was moving, it was emotional, and it captured everything that was involved in Friday's big occasion, and that was Steve McMichael uh, going into the Hall of Fame, and as he found out Thursday night, and there was a big celebration, and, and one of our, our next guests was there, Gary Fensick, and joining us on the Circa Resort Sports Illinois hotline, download the Circa Sports app today, is Gary. Good morning, Gary. How are you? I'm doing fine. You seem uh, you're, you sound a little hoarse today. A little hoarse. I have had a little bit uh, fighting something, though. I'm, I'm doing okay, Gary. Thank you for the concern. I thought maybe you were just screaming at the TV uh, at, at the game yesterday. Oh, weren't you? <laughs> Wasn't everybody at one point in time? Um, hope you've been fine. Uh, great t- for you to join us today. Obviously, Steve McMichael going in is a big deal. It means so much because of his fight with ALS. It means so much because of what he accomplished on the field. You were there when he got the news. You popped some champagne. A lot of former teammates. There's a great story and photo on ChicagoBears.com written by Larry Mayer. How would you describe what you experienced and what it means to Mongo? Well, I mean, it's kind of a mixture of uh, you know sadness with the ALS and, and uh, recognition for a, a great career. I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, Steve, uh, being the third defensive lineman, has almost been neglected a little bit over the decades with, uh, with Hampton, who, hey, look, when Dan came in in 79 as the first-round draft choice for the Bears, he changed our defense. And then you had Richard Dent. And so to get, you know, three Hall of Famers on one defensive line, probability is probably a little bit lower than you would expect. But I'm really happy. I mean, he deserves it. Uh, I think, you know, part of this – uh, David, is that some of the stats that we all consider today as just kind of normal weren't really compilated back in the 70s and 80s. And so I, I think Steve got a little bit lost in that. But, uh, you know, finally, a Hall of Famer. And I think everyone, you know, from the Bear organization, the fans and, and his teammates are really, really happy for him. But again, you know, it's it's really, you know, it's a difficult uh, experience to have to go out there and see, you know, the state of his physical condition today. What was it like being in the room when he got the news? We heard a clip and we saw the photos, but obviously being reunited with former teammates and knowing that this news was coming, but still when it happens, it's something I'm sure that you will always remember. How would you describe that experience? Yeah, I think elation and, uh, and you know, just – satisfaction i mean i say that for all you know the two bears the real bears devin hester and and uh and steve getting in i mean devin hester oh my god uh you know what a great short career but man uh as a fan you go to those games and every time there was a punt and a kickoff it just created these unbelievable expectations and you know i was at the super bowl when they they played the indianapolis colts and holy fuck i mean he takes the opening kickoff back 
uh, it was like, unfortunately, that was the highlight of the Bear offense. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for both of those. But I think for all of us, uh, you know, around Steve's bed and in his house, uh, it, just wow, just a great elation. Uh, and I know that it's been a motivation for him as well. I think everybody has their favorite Steve McMichael story. I think your connection with him is very interesting, obviously being a part of that, that defense, but also where you guys both came from. You were both discards, essentially, from other teams <laughs> exactly. that found homes in Chicago. And it sounds like, Gary, and, and having talked to you over the years, I know that you kind of related to that, kind of use that as fuel and the, the chip on your shoulders. It was the same for him as it was for you. I think it might have been even more difficult for Steve. I mean, he was a second-round draft choice uh, for the New England Patriots. And, you know, you're, you're in the 85-86 period where everything's, you know, the defensive line's so great, but it all starts with, uh, you know, kind of Hampton or Dent. And, you know, what about the other guys? And so I, I think that you do have that chip on your shoulder, but I think, you know, at the end it worked out well. And, you know, Steve was a great teammate. I, I think you all kind of – know where you fit into the scheme of things uh, when you're on a great team. I mean, hey, you're an offensive line. you got Walter Payton as your running back. Uh, you know, fortunately, uh, Jimbo is in the Hall of Fame, but it's kind of like, you know, almost like, oh, take it for granted. Anybody could make holes for Walter Payton. He was such a great running back. And I think, you know, with the defensive line, you know, I was fortunate, you know, whether you're strong or free safety, you're kind of across the huddle from those guys. And there are critical times where you just need a pass rush. Let's face it. You're not going to have a good secondary if you don't have a good pass rush. And you've got to look at these guys' eyes and, you know, are they upward or not? And, uh, you know, fortunately, a great defensive line where when you're free safety, you take a couple steps back and, you know, you know the blitz is coming and you go, they can't block this the way their, uh, their formation is. And you don't have to backpedal too much because that quarterback is either going to throw the ball in two seconds or he's going down. And a lot of times he went down. Talking with great 85 bear Gary Fensick here on the Mullen Haw show here on the score. So Gary, obviously everybody's aware of the battle against ALS and what Steve is capable of understanding and maybe what he isn't, but there should be no doubt from the way Misty explained it, the, the reports that we have seen, you were there. He's acutely aware of what just happened, and you can sense and feel, and maybe even hear in some occasions, the way that he has communicated the satisfaction and the, the overall joy that he feels in this news. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, David, it's, it's uh, you know, if anyone has ever experienced this, it's not fun. Uh, you know, and, and Steve, at this point, uh, can't communicate other than through a computer uh, with his eyes looking at phrases or or uh, letters. But even that, I was talking to his sister, Kathy, the day after he got in. She said, you know, the eye is a muscle. And so the only thing he can move right now is really his eyes. But he gets tired. You know, that muscle, you know, from you know trying to communicate in the morning and the afternoon, by the time you get into the evening, uh, it just gets you know, a little challenging for him. And so there's just so many things that you can't really appreciate, but he is completely aware of, you know, what's going on. And, uh, you know, in his communications, this does mean a lot to him. And so uh, really happy for him and for his family, Misty and his daughter, uh, that he got this opportunity. And, and now, you know, I mean, the ceremony isn't until the, you know, the Hall of Fame game uh, this summer. So, Gary, while we have you, have to tap into your expertise. No, as a season ticket holder, you follow the Bears closely. As a former player, uh, you have uh, obviously an emotional tie and a vested interest. Uh, 
How do you frame what the Bears are facing this offseason with the number one overall pick, with Caleb Williams sitting there, the consensus top prospect right now, and also the development after his third season as a starter of Justin Fields. It is Caleb versus Fields. That's the debate as we're talking about it here on a regular basis. How do you view it and what do you think happens? You know, uh, I, I think that there's so many variables going into that ultimate decision that, you know, some that we can guess, others we can't. Uh, you know, I think as some Bear fan, we're all going, looking back over the decades, don't screw this one up, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like, oh, if the Bears keep field and either the first or second pick or third pick becomes the next Mahomes or a Hall of Famer, you're going to go typical, right? Yep. And then, yeah, so then if you say, oh, we're going to go with them, then Fields goes somewhere else and does great, you're going to go, well, how could you make that, you know, how could you take that chance? So it's not going to be easy. Uh, that's why uh, Poles and his staff are going to get the big dollars. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot more, you know, scenarios of, okay, if you keep Justin Fields and bolster up the team, rape somebody who wants that first round pick, and you know you get first round picks for the next two or three years. Uh, but how many quarterbacks uh, get to the Super Bowl by you know being part of a great team? Maybe Trent Dilfer with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know everybody else. It's the QB. So even though there's a lot of excuses about Justin Fields having different you know, uh, patchwork offensive lines, uh, different coordinators, you really have to take a look and say, okay, what is his ceiling? Yeah, it's a judgment call. What is his ceiling? And also, if you get a new quarterback through the draft, you're going to reset that quarterback salary position, which is important because, you know, top quarterbacks now are getting $40, $50 million a year, and the salary cap is under $250 million. So, that's a big, big financial, you know, risk that you're taking. So we'll see. I mean, you know, I, one, we're in a great position as, you know, for the Bears. This is a, a tremendous opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, if I was Poles and the rest of the staff, I'd be really excited about this because you're going to have a lot of alternatives, a lot of options Uh for the best interest of the Bears going forward for the next three to five years. Given the caliber of head coaching and candidates that were available, how surprised were you that the Bears brought Matt Eberflus back for a third season? Um, you know, I, I I don't know that I was surprised, but when you look at it, I mean, it's okay. You had a, a defensive coordinator who had HR issues last year. Uh, you had to get rid of your your running back coach, HR issues, uh, you know, you get rid of your offensive coordinator. So, you know, there's not much left. It's all new. But, you know, that's the decision that Poles and, and the rest of the organization had to uh, make. I personally am a big fan of Matt's. But, again, you know, we'll just have to wait to see how it goes. I, I would think that it still would be difficult to recruit a good offensive coordinator uh, because, you know, if the Bears don't have a good season, I got to believe that we're going to have the same discussion as we're having, you know, right now about, you know, do you keep the head coach or not? Um, but I, you know, I think Matt has done a good job and I'm sure the organization has done a good job of saying, hey, look, we're behind Matt. 
And we're, you know, we're a young team and we're on the ascent. And so, you know, jump on the bus because, you know, with that first round pick one way or another, we're going to have some really good options that are continue, hopefully uh, moving the bears in the right direction. Now, the challenge for the bears is like, wow, you got green Bay who's definitely ascending and what they're the youngest team in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Detroit. I mean, come on. They, they had a chance to win that game against the 49ers. I remember in 84 when we lost the NFC championship game to the 49ers and man, we were emotional in that locker room, but that was kind of the catalyst for, okay, we know that we're that close, but we've got to really focus. And that's what happened with the success in the Super Bowl in, in 1985. So you've got two of the you know, four teams in that conference that have a lot more to be op- optimistic about than the Bears right now. And that's not saying, you know, the, it's not like the Vikings are a bad team. Nope. I mean, depending on what they do with their quarterback. So a lot of challenges, but hey, uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. In addition to trying to build the team to play in the Super Bowl, the other big story facing the Bears or other big challenge confronting Kevin Warren is building a stadium worthy of hosting one because that is the next big step, the next big story. It's been about a year now since we Kevin Warren arrived, and, and I, I'm a little surprised there's not more clarity, Gary. I don't know how you feel. Last week we got the news that the focus has shifted back to Chicago. The South lot is now going to be uh, something they're going to try to develop. I don't know how they're going to pay for it. We don't know some details. We also know Arlington Heights is land they've already bought. How do you view what – how this is going and what you do you think will happen next? I'm a bit confused. I'm sure all bear fans are too. I, you know, I live in Lincoln park in Chicago. So for me, I, I'd rather have a new stadium in Chicago than going out to Arlington park, but to build on the lake, I thought it was a no, no. I mean, you know, look, they couldn't get the George Lucas uh, star Wars museum there and he was paying for it uh, because you're, you can't be on the lake. So I'm not quite sure I'm sure the Bears have a, a good answer, but I, I'm just a little puzzled thinking that I didn't know you could build a stadium that's, you know, and that's not going to be privately owned. I think one of the complaints that the Bears have is that they don't really control the schedule at Soldier Field. So I'm, I'm a little confused. You're not going to be able to do a privately owned stadium uh, on the lake, unless I'm wrong. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a real challenge. And then, you know, you paid what 190 million plus. You've already paid for that. You bought, you know, Arlington, and I don't think you're going to get anyone to buy it if you decide to build a stadium downtown. But you know what? Hey, Kevin was brought in uh, to solve this puzzle, and I think that you know everybody has a lot of confidence that he has the experience. Uh, to uh, be able to navigate this for the Bears and then hoping that it will result in a, a really good product. Before we let you go, have to get your view on the Super Bowl. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes now three titles, and he's tw- he's 28 years old. I wonder how many more Super Bowls he you expect him to win. And just overall, what your impressions were of a game that went into overtime. Season ended great, Gary. When, you, when the Super Bowl goes down to the last play in overtime, you can't really complain. Absolutely. You know, I, I thought it was a, an interesting game because everybody had been looking at, you know, hey, offenses in the playoffs seem to be dominating these defenses. And, you know, with San Francisco's defense, they kept saying how great it was. 
And yet they were lucky. They played very poorly, particularly against the run in both the Green Bay game and the Detroit game. But, man, they showed up for the Super Bowl. That, that was a great effort by them. And uh, in Kansas City, their defense, you know, has through the playoffs just been outstanding. So uh, I didn't, you know, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised how well the defense has played. But at the end of the day, you know, people will ask me, what do you think? I go, hey, I think they're kind of evenly matched. But if this gets to a close game, whoever has the better quarterback will probably win the game. Well, is it a surprise that, you know, Kansas City has the best quarterback and he just kind of took him down in a critical time and, and, and won? But, you know, it's interesting, David. If you look at, like, total yards and, you know, rushing, it's all kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some, you know, really bad-timed fumbles, uh, both, you know, with – Kansas City as well as uh, McCaffrey with San Francisco, uh, you know, special teams. Wow. I mean, you know, any NFL player, you look and go the friggin' kicker, right? I mean, <laughs> right. it's uh, you miss, you miss an extra point and that really kind of comes into play. Uh, if you, you know, look at things on the, in the fourth quarter, but you know, I guess, you know, when I was looking at the stats, third down completion was, that was one area where the 49ers are only three for 12. And, you know, Kansas City was 9 for 19, almost 50%. That's a big difference. But at the end of the day, hey, we've seen it, right? When they had a minute and a half, and it's like, well, I remember them playing Buffalo and talking to Leslie Frazier about this a couple of years ago. They only needed 13 seconds. 13 seconds. And, uh, yep. and so is it a surprise to me that they took it down and, and you know, on a really well-constructed play, uh, you know, through an easy touchdown pass and uh, and win the win the Super Bowl. So, hey, it was a good game. Uh, kind of enjoyed it. You know, the, the only thing that you know, I I'm kind of watching it because I had some friends over as well. But Tony, uh, you know, I, I I was really surprised that they kept talking about oh the uh, the Kansas City defensive line looks tired. You know what? There isn't a defensive line in the NFL that's not going to get tired, particularly when you get into overtime. Right. But I, I don't. I thought that uh, both defensive lines are going to get tired. Uh, but they kept. You know, it's like it was that their narrative for the game uh, because it didn't really uh, tie up to what I saw on the field. They had the entire offseason to rest too. It's the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I wanted San Francisco to win. Because it does change your life when you win the Super Bowl. I mean, it changes it forever. You you personally feel, you know, I, I've completed, you know, everything I wanted to do. And uh, and you want to spread that wealth. So, you know, San Francisco, uh, it was a great opportunity. I think, you know, that's a really, really outstanding team. Uh, John Lynch, their uh, general manager, is a former safety. So I'm happy for him. But, uh, you know, Kansas City is just a team that doesn't make mistakes. And, uh, and I think for the 49ers, not only the extra point, but botching that, that punt, you just don't give teams like that that opportunity. It kind of reminds me, you know, hey, I, I bull season ticket holder until a couple of years ago. But through that entire Michael Jordan period, you're like, he's going to win the game. Yeah. I don't know how he's going to win the game. But I'm very confident he's going to win the game. And if you're a Kansas City Chief fan, you're in the same boat. I don't know what this guy is going to do, but I have absolute confidence that he's going to. And even his pregame uh, interviews were pretty cool. He's saying, hey, we want to be a dynasty. Yep. And, you know, that's, 
That's putting it out there, right? Yep. It's not like, hey, I don't care if I have to eat my words. That is our goal, our measurement, our stick. And you're like, wow, that, that's that's a mature, yeah, kind of cocky, but real uh, you know, comment that you as a fan feel great about because you're like, hey, our best player is not satisfied even after the game. Uh, he's talking about next season already. So, hey, fun experience. A lot of fun. Great to talk to you, Gary. Thank you so much for your time Great. today. You're welcome. Take care. Gary Fensick, 85 Bear, talking about his experience last week with Steve McMichael, the Super Bowl, the Bears, and much more. Right now, we're going back to Vegas. When we come back, Larry Kruger from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco will tell us what it's like to hear from Kyle Shanahan after another Super Bowl loss. It's Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Everybody did great. I think, uh, you know, you go look at the self-inflicted wounds we had and um, we just beat ourselves. Welcome back. It's Molly and Hush, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Molly out today. That was Christian McCaffrey talking about the mistakes the 49ers made in the 25-22 loss to the Chiefs in Super Bowl 58. And now joining us on the Circa Sports Illinois Hotline is Larry Kruger, from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Download the Circus Sports app today. Good morning, Larry. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. So the aftermath, the the next phase of the uh, season, offseason for the 49ers is, is acceptance and what it means to Kyle Shanahan's legacy, perhaps, what it means to other players' futures, maybe Brock Purdy's. How do you digest and process what happened to the 49ers and what will be the next phase for them because they're already Super Bowl favorites for next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, that they, they got beat um by a team that that um you know, quarterback has has played some incredible ball through the years and and you know, did they contribute to the defeat? You know, it wasn't a perfect game. Uh they lost Dre Greenwell early. They had some bad mistakes on special teams. I mean, you muff a punt, you miss a PAT. Um, those things didn't help. I thought Brock Purdy played pretty well, all things considered. Um, but Patrick Mahomes, you know, at the end with the ball in his hands, I mean, he just, he was fantastic when he needed to be. And um, you get the feeling that this is kind of his story and everybody else is kind of, he's the protagonist and everybody else is just kind of involved. So I don't know if that it was what the Niners didn't do as much as what he did do. There's a lot of criticism, I'm sure, uh, on social media for Kyle Shanahan and and you know getting getting away from the run game in the third quarter. But ultimately, I, you know, I I would choose to kind of um, give give credit to Mahomes and Reed uh, for for being the better team because clearly they were. Two things I would like to know more full explanations uh, from Kyle Shanahan if, if post game and all of the chaos. 
But number one, what you alluded to, getting away from Christian McCaffrey specifically in the third quarter. And secondly, the decision to take the ball in overtime. Exactly. Well, you know, the take the ball in overtime, you know, he explained it like, okay, so the Niners get a full chance. They go down, they score a touchdown, let's just say. And then, you know, the other team gets the ball, Kansas City, they go get a touchdown. Well, he wanted to be the third, you know, to be able to end the game. But, um, you know, that's more like a college overtime situation where there's real advantage to being the the team that knows what they need Mm -hmm. as opposed to the team that's just kind of flying blind. So I understand why he likes to take the ball at the beginning of games so he can get that, you know, what he believes is the double, you know, you score into half, you score out of half. But I didn't understand the desire to take the ball in overtime at all. I don't think anybody will. I think that's not going to age well, Larry. I think that's going to be one of those things that, as we talk about Kyle Shanahan, and he's brilliant, and he's 44, and he's got a bright future ahead of him. I don't think you want to be the best coach who never won a Super Bowl, and I don't think you want to have to have something like that to live down because it's a question that really hasn't been fully adequately answered yet. Right, right, exactly. I mean, why are you taking the ball there when you're basically giving up the fourth down and the other team has the fourth down knowledge of what they need? So, I mean, that's, you know, that one. And then also, you know, Eric Armstead hit the podium afterwards and said he didn't know the overtime rules, which makes Kyle and Steve Wilkes look particularly bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Why did your players not know the fourth down rules? Uh, you know, so that's it's tough. That one's a, a non-defendable position in a lot of ways. Um, as far as the McCaffrey touches and runs, and you know, McCaffrey got thirty touches. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of touches. Um, thirty touches is is a lot. If he had gotten twenty combined or twenty-five combined, I think it's a stronger argument. To be sent to say, you know, why are you not running McCaffrey? He got 30 touches. Um, so I mean, I personally, Fair enough. I thought they passed. They yeah. passed it. They, you know, what happens also in these situations is, you know, if you opt to pass on first down, and now it's a negative play. Okay, well, now you've got to get the first down. So now you have to keep passing. So I know the way that works sometimes when you pass on first down, you can get lulled into too many pass attempts. But I think, you know, I mean, hey, it's a fair criticism because Kyle Shanahan's theme in his three uh, trips to the Super Bowl is that he's gotten a little too pass happy at times. And I think we all know that's in his tendency. Last question for you. It might seem absurd, but Brock Purdy threw for 4,200 yards this year, 31 touchdowns, 11 picks. He was a Pro Bowl player. He was an MVP finalist. He didn't lose the Super Bowl. I guess some people might argue he didn't win it either. And I think I wonder the climate being what the NFL cities are like and can be like. Will the 49ers go into this offseason even at all considering a potential upgrade? Kirk Cousins in free agency, a, a blockbuster trade for somebody who puts them over the top after facing a quarterback and losing to a quarterback who showed you how he can outweigh an entire roster that is better than his. I just wonder what the mindset will be in San Francisco this offseason when it comes to Brock Purdy and the quarterback position? I would be shocked if they did not go forward with Purdy as the 
as the primary guy going forward. Um, I think he he showed well for himself in this game. Um, yes, Cousins is out there, but the 49ers are in a much different spot right now with the salary cap than they were, you know, uh, when they initially considered going in that direction years ago. I think they'll stay with with Brock Purdy and attempt to bolster both sides of the line of scrimmage. I mean, you got to remember this: they have like six defensive linemen that are free agents. Um, Colton McKivitz clearly, even though I think he's a popular guy in the locker room, you know, he clearly is a, in a, in a championship team, more of a jack of all trades, you know, extra offensive lineman. He was forced to play right tackle all year as a starter. So I think their primary will be right tackle and building up that defensive line, um, to something that's better than what it was this year. And maybe, maybe I mean, I could see Steve Wilkes being the fall guy, despite the fact the defense played pretty well this year. Um, it seemed like there was some disconnect between Shanahan and Wilkes, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Wilkes was somewhere else. So, you know, we'll see if they try to do something significant to their defense. But Shanahan rarely blames himself in this situation, despite the fact the offense had some, some bumps in the road. So my guess here is that by the time the discussion gets worked through the room, they'll decide it was the defensive issue. Wilkes will, will move on. They'll stay with Purdy, and they'll try to build up the offensive and defensive lines and, and behind their new defensive coordinator. Larry, we really appreciate you being our 49ers guy in Vegas. You did a terrific job, and, and thank you for getting up every morning, especially after last night's game. It was a late night, I'm sure, but really thank you for all, all your work. Hey, anytime, guys. It was a pleasure. Larry Kruger from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, still in Vegas, the aftermath of the 49ers' loss. I will be very curious to see who takes the blame, who, who takes the fall. Somebody's gonna. The 49ers are not one of those organizations just happy winning the NFC, just happy getting to the Super Bowl. They've now lost two Super Bowls in the last four years. That's got to leave a mark. That's got to sting. You're close. You're so close. And you spent the entire season hearing about how you've got the best roster in the NFL, how you've got this and you've got all the weapons and all of the things that they say about Kyle Shanahan, the genius. And you lose a Super Bowl because you got a PAT blocked. You muffed a punt. And you couldn't stop maybe the greatest quarterback ever, who was the Michael Jordan of his sport. And this is what it felt like to be in Chicago in the 90s. If you're watching Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City right now, you've got that feeling. You've got that confidence. You're vibing. You're walking around like, yeah, we're not losing. You weren't, were you nervous, Chiefs fans? I know, how, 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 how do we, how does signal carry in Kansas City? We're talking to Kansas City. Chiefs fans, were you ever nervous? I don't think they were. I think they believed. I think they believed in a way they had that quiet confidence that comes with having a guy like Mahomes, a guy like Jordan, you, a guy like Tom Brady in Boston and New England. These are, these are, these are the things that, the NFL is going to have to live with for the next five to eight to 10 years. Patrick Mahomes is not going to get worse. Eventually, Father Time will catch up with him the way he does with everybody, but he's 28. 
three Super Bowl titles in five years. What's realistic for him in the next five years? Two more? Three more? I, I think that when you look at what they're able to do, Brett Veach has done a terrific job building that roster. They went back-to-back Super Bowls after trading Tyreek Hill. Think about that. Remember those stories? Oh, Patrick Mahomes, what's it going to be like without the cheetah? Just fine, thank you. Just fine, thank you very much. All right, we're going to get out of here and transition for a moment, but I want a couple things that happened over the weekend that I think are worth mentioning, reinforcing. Obviously, the Bulls lost to the Magic on Saturday night. Tonight, Bulls at the Hawks, 615 pregame right here on the score. The Hawks host the Canucks on Tuesday. They get another day off. Did you see? Did you see Steph Curry? Saturday night, 3.3 seconds left, catch the bad pass, hit the three, and have the Warriors beat the Suns. And also, before we get to take a quick phone call, Chicago Marathon record setter, Kelvin Kipton, 24-year-old Kenyan, died tragically on Sunday. This is a huge story in the international racing community. It's a huge story here in Chicago for people who are involved with the marathon. Just a tragic story. Apparently training on, a, on a, one of the roads that where these elite runners train in a car accident. Kelvin Kipton, 24 years old. <sighs> Tragic story in Kenya. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Squeeze in a final call. 312-644-6767. Ryan is on the road. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome to Mullen Hall. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I'm, uh, I have to take issue with Mahomes as the Jordan uh, of his NFL era, okay. uh, especially this year. Kansas City had a horseshoe all year, especially in the playoffs. There's so many things that the other teams did or didn't do, for that matter. Mahomes would not be having a – he wouldn't even have made it to the Super Bowl. He's a good – he's a great quarterback. Andy Reid is a phenomenal coach. But against Baltimore, <clears throat> Baltimore inexplicably – Abandon the run. Dave Flowers makes a stupid penalty when they're going in for a kill. Totally changes the game. Against San Francisco, a muff punt. They lose their best linebacker, and then they miss a PAT. That's not greatness. That's just Ryan. That's just Ryan, love. Well, can I ask you a question? And, and I respect where you're coming from. You're a Chicago guy. Number one, do, do you feel a little defensive if – Somebody compares somebody to Jordan because it's not meant disrespectfully to trigger anybody, but it's 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 the truth. And also, didn't maybe luck is always a part of it. You can make your own luck. Did you see Patrick Mahomes on the final drive? He, he made plays with his legs. He is great. That is greatness. That is the closest thing to Michael Jordan that we have seen. I, I'm not quite sure why you're defensive about Anybody being compared to MJ? Not, it's not being defensive. It's just I, I, I'm, I'm always astounded at how Mahomes is given all these accolades for making regular plays. You know, he'll do a sidearm throw, and it's like, oh, my God, that was the best thing I've ever seen. And, again, don't, they, don't get me wrong. I think he's great. But, like, that last pass, that was a beautifully drawn play. And the guy was wide open in the end zone. That has nothing to do with Mahomes making a phenomenal uh, pass or this and that. That is a great play, and he hit the guy he was supposed to hit. 
you know, most NFL or a lot of NFL quarterbacks can, can make that play. My, my point is that they were super, super lucky, especially this year. Thanks, Ryan. appreciate the phone call. I disagree. I, I think that Patrick Mahomes makes his own luck. There could be things that happen that are circumstances in every star, every winner, every game. There are plays like that. But I think he's kind of he's on the verge of being universally recognized if he's not already as the most dominant player in professional sports. He's got three titles in five years. I guess that's, I guess that's tomorrow's exercise. Is there another player in professional sports that's any more dominant than Patrick Mahomes? Fair question. I'll have to think about that one. All right, we've got to get to transition next. Dan and Lawrence are here. Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.